Hi everyone, this is the Hemp Clothing Australia podcast, episode three. My name is Chris Martin. I am the founder and director of Hemp Clothing Australia. And I thought I would record a podcast today because it's almost been five months since our last podcast. And I uh, felt it was sort of time to just give you guys an update on everything. And a lot has been happening. Um, so this episode today will run for a similar duration of maybe 50 minutes, almost an hour, and we have a lot to talk about. So what I'll essentially do is just run you quickly through uh, a few key points that we're going to be uh, discussing, and uh, I would really like to know uh, from the community out there what uh, what you guys think of these these topics that we'll be discussing, because a lot of it is new ground. Um, a lot has changed. The licensing in particular for industrial hemp is rapidly changing in the Australian landscape. We have the uh, first industrial hemp licenses being awarded in South Australia. Uh, other states are already moving on this. Some are not moving at all. Uh, but there is hemp going into the ground. We have moved from trials to uh, farmers taking over uh, and uh, collecting their licensing and starting to look for seed and actually planting. Some farmers, uh, particularly in Victoria, have already got uh, their first crops uh, fully grown and harvested and are supplying um, things like uh, seed and oil, uh, which are essentially the go-to industries for hemp. Uh, at least for now, there will be more industries opening up and there's plenty going on in uh, fibre and building materials and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, we can't forget there's tens of thousands of products which are coming out of uh, hemp. But uh, really, um, uh, in running through the list, we have number one, the Hemp Health Innovation Expo is this weekend, uh, Saturday the 12th of May and Sunday the 13th of May. And uh, that will be uh, at Sydney, uh, in Sydney, at the uh, Rose Hill um, race course, and essentially uh, that's where it was last year. Uh, the exhibition centre, which is uh, on James Ruse Drive um, in Rose Hill, New South Wales, um, it's a great venue. Uh, last year was a lot of fun. Um, that was essentially our first expo as Hemp Clothing Australia and uh, it was very successful for us and we had a great time. We met a lot of other amazing hemp companies and um, uh, entrepreneurs in the uh, cannabis field, uh, particularly because the cannabis side is still very heavily regulated in Australia. Uh, but a lot of people who were eager to get into either the hemp or cannabis um, uh, areas or emerging industries, so that was fantastic. The Melbourne HHI Expo later in 2017 was also uh, fantastic, uh, another great showing for us. Um, and even in the face of the most cyclonic, crazy uh, weather <laughs> that Melbourne put on for that weekend, um, it was still a great turnout and um, just was really great to see the uh, Melbourne Convention Centre being turned green, um, a fantastic event. And uh, essentially rolling into 2018, we now have the process starting over again. So the HHI Expo is back in Sydney this weekend. So uh, if you were late to listening to this podcast, it might already be over by the time you get to it. But um, 
don't forget it, it is an annual event and it just gets bigger and better every year. So uh, kudos to uh, Michelle, uh, the event organiser. She does great work with, along with her staff um, and I really hope you guys can go along and see it. Um, uh, Hemp Health uh, Innovation Expo, uh, Rose Hill Race Course, um, go check it out. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, the 12th and 13th of May. Uh, we will not be attending this year. Uh, Hemp Clothing Australia will not have a store there this year just because we have another expo uh, that we are attending in close proximity. And that brings us to our second item, the Adelaide Hemp and Cannabis Expo. It is within uh, a week of the HHI Expo, which makes it logistically kind of challenging for people who want to do both. But uh, I'm sure the organisers of these events may start collaborating on this and, and sort of look to their schedules as to how it might work in the future. Um, but the Adelaide Hemp and Cannabis Expo, uh, which is May the 19th and May the 20th, uh, it is part of the Body Mind Psychic Expo, which is uh, a very uh, prominent expo for Adelaide. Uh, they usually put through about 11,000 people uh, through the doors over the two days, and um, it is an amazing uh, event, and uh, definitely one you guys should probably come check out. Um, the Wavell Showgrounds are huge, so it's a great venue to hold something that is essentially uh, going to be a massive event and it just seems to be a good fit uh, for the Adelaide uh, Hemp and Cannabis Expo to, at least for this point in time, be a part of the Body Mind Psychic Expo. Uh, so there will be sort of a bit of everything at this uh, particular expo. It isn't 100% you know, hemp and cannabis industry, but for people who are... You know, in South Australia, or coming over from uh, close or nearby states, or other states, or even overseas, uh, to see something different. Um, a great event. Uh, it should be should be really cool. There are a lot of uh, very uh, prominent speakers coming to talk about all things hemp and cannabis, and uh, there'll be lots of really good information there about essentially how the industry is unfolding and um, the political sphere and how that's sort of intertwining into uh, hemp and cannabis uh, progression in this country. We are getting there. And uh, I wouldn't say it's exactly uh, going at the, the rate that we would like it to, but it is certainly moving uh, faster than the legislation can keep up with. And that's essentially a good sign because it shows that it's in demand and people want it. And um, uh, I would like to see more uh, progression on the uh, legislative uh, side, but we will see what the government does, both state and federal. Uh, we will touch on something later in regards to all of that, but I'll just get through the rest of the items um, that we're going to be talking about. Uh, but before we move on from the Adelaide Hemp and Cannabis Expo, uh, just a quick note, uh, I'll actually be speaking uh, on the Saturday at 1130 um, so the title is Chris Martin, A Crash Course in Hemp Clothing. Uh, I gave a similar talk at the Adelaide Sustainability Centre um, not too long ago to um, a local crowd who were very interested in the emergence of hemp clothing. And uh, there's already been some activity over the past few years 
uh, in Adelaide and some local brands um, using the textile, uh, hemp textiles, and um, essentially having Hemp Clothing Australia show up and do talks uh, is important at these events because I really believe that it's not just about selling people uh, you know, clothing that they can wear. It's about educating people why it's a good move and why it isn't just a fashion item and why hemp can essentially revolutionise the way we clothe ourselves in practically uh, any industry or any style of clothing, uh, whether it's workwear or fashion or, um, you know, uh, government, uh, government uniforms, staff uniforms, uh, you know, anything you can name, uh, any, any part of the clothing industry which globally is gigantic, uh, Part of, part of the reason, sorry, <coughs> as I have something stuck in my throat, part of the reason it is uh, the second most polluting industry in the world, the clothing industry, that is, is because it's massive. It is gigantic. So we have to uh, clean it up. Uh, so hemp is a great way to do that, and we can touch a bit more on that later. But um, I will be giving a talk along with uh, a lot of other people. There's about eight or nine talks each day on the Saturday and the Sunday and there'll be a bit of everything in there for everyone um, on both the hemp and the cannabis side and um, I'm looking forward to overhearing some of those talks because our stall will be right next to the stage. Uh, We're going to have a a nine metre display store and there'll be a little bit of stock there as well so if you guys want to buy something on the day we will be there in force and uh, come and have a chat to us and the team Uh, they are always great fun the expos uh, they're very low key it's a very low pressure atmosphere just come along have a look at look at some great things Um, try on some clothing Uh, come have a talk to us about your personal projects or if you've got a clothing company you're looking at starting up or a business that you want hemp uniforms for or If you're in government and you want to consider saving some money for taxpayers, please come along and talk to us because that's what we are here to do. We are here to make a difference and do so in a way that is um, perhaps not so aggressively uh, corporatized and bullish and, uh, you know, we we like to essentially practice what we preach in that uh, we are a low-pressure organization we don't force people into doing anything if you want to talk to us you come talk to us and uh, we'll go from there it's a a great way to do business and i think a lot of our stockists would agree we we like to deal um in uh just really uh, a loving sense you know it, it is a balance of things when people treat each other like crap it's just a recipe for disaster so uh, we treat everyone we meet with respect and um, even people who aren't a little, you know, if the people who might not be so sure about hemp and what it is or if they're a bit, you know, still in the dark about the um, the history of it all and its ties to essentially uh, the cannabis industry, which isn't a bad thing, but some people still seem to be a little bit behind the eight ball on the education. We don't get in their face about that. We try and educate them. So... Um, I've just been doing some ringing around uh, on a state government level trying to find out some more information about another topic we will be discussing, which is uh, political um, reforms. Uh, We won't go on too much about it because it's uh, not essentially what everyone wants to be 
um, listening to, but there are some very interesting uh, things happening on the political front in terms of uh, we have a new state government here in South Australia and they have some policies which don't exactly add up, in my mind at least, and I'd like to at least make you guys aware of some of those things. Um, it seems to me no political party is perfect, but um, we would always offer our assistance in helping to um, essentially educate and at least post our position on things that we might feel are incorrectly being portrayed um, in policy and to the public through, you know, whether it's anything as bad as a disinformation campaign right the way through to just incorrect policy decision-making that is not based uh, in fact. Like, uh, we, we like to operate around the facts and what's actually true and what is not true, and if we see something that's not quite right, our responsibilities as a clothing company, um, you may think, would end there, but... Uh, no, advocacy is part of what we do and uh, it is essentially for the simple purpose of just trying to, to make things better for everyone. Um, we don't earn a lot of uh, money or charge out any money for the advocacy side of what we do. It is just something that we take an interest in because it's important or at least we feel it's important and maybe you do too. So uh, article or item number uh, three uh, the first industrial hemp licences. Um, uh, I touched on that a bit before. So just quickly, we've got some farmers in South Australia now that the uh, the work of the Industrial Hemp Association of South Australia has prevailed, and I would send my kudos and congratulations to Teresa McDowell, uh, the founder of IHASA, the Industrial Hemp Association of South Australia. Uh, Teresa was instrumental in um, getting this association started with the sheer hope that one day we could grow industrial hemp in South Australia and uh, abroad. I mean, other states were not exactly her primary interest, I don't think, but at, uh, as a South Australian, she was focusing on uh, reforms here. And uh, Teresa runs Hemp Hemp Hooray, which is a store, a beautiful little shop up in Mount Barker. So if you're ever in South Australia and want to meet Teresa, you'll probably find her up at her beautiful little hemp shop in Mount Barker. Uh, it's about 10, oh, 10 to 15 minutes out of the Adelaide CBD, just up the freeway in the beautiful hills, Adelaide Hills. Um, amazing work. Uh, and the Industrial Hemp Association has grown um, significantly since she uh, parted to run her shop and focus on her work with her business uh, but it was essentially the work of the Industrial Hemp Association of South Australia and a few other key people uh, I would also mention um, Diana Walter, formerly Diana Meaglick, uh, her work has also been instrumental um, and the uh, the members of the South Australian political sphere who, irrespective of their political party, uh, the ones who saw the light and got on board essentially early because they could see the importance of putting this significant political uh, change, these reforms through, uh, the Honourable Tammy Franks, I would send my uh, kudos to her as well and thank her for her work. She was instrumental in essentially uh, forming and issuing the bill 
uh, and bring it into the state parliament, and it uh, passed. So thank you very much, Tammy. Amazing work. Um, so yes, we now have some farmers who have been, uh, they've applied for their licenses and been uh, awarded their licenses. So that means they are now essentially in the process of uh, sourcing seed and uh, seed is obviously critical uh, for the farmer. They've got to essentially buy seed from uh, a reputable supplier, uh, get it in and then you know, uh, get it into the ground and, and make sure that they're growing a cultivar that is designed uh, to yield either a some sort of a hemp seed uh, for oil processing or superfoods or something like that, or if it's a, a cultivar for fibre, such as what we make uh, hemp clothing out of, you need to plant a essentially a, a very uh, large growing um, cultivar of hemp that uh, you can then yield a lot of bast fibre and a quick little... Uh, note on that is that um, bast fibre is the um, the long uh, stalk that essentially the length the entire length of the hemp plant is like a woody kind of stalk that's wrapped in a beautiful lovely very strong fibre um, that sort of tears away off the off the vertical stalk uh, and it looks a bit like uh, when you pull the outer shell off a um, or the outer fibre off a, a sweet corn it's a bit Similar sort of a process, you strip all that fibre off and that bast fibre then gets processed into yarn and that yarn then goes onto a, uh, onto a, fabric, or to a fabric mill uh, and then it would feed into the loom in the sense um, if you're making knitted fabrics or it would be woven through weaving machinery uh, or even hand woven um, and then it would either go to a dye house where it would be left as a natural fabric and then that would go to a cut and sew operator. You cut and sew your garments, label them, do any embellishment and that would be um, the very short <laughs> and simple explanation of how to make a hemp clothing company. Uh, but if there are any farmers in Australia or South Australia who are looking to grow hemp specifically uh, are for the purpose of um, the clothing industry uh, and yielding bast fibre for the clothing industry. Uh, <coughs> um, excuse me. <coughs> we would uh, say that it's still very possible to do it. I think there might be a market in there long term, um, but it always adds up to uh, numbers for the farmer. D does it make sense for a farmer to grow bast fibre? when he could earn more money, say, growing seed for oil or superfoods or otherwise. Um, that is a question for the farmer. And uh, we will know more about the numbers on that uh, down the track. I already have some ideas of what can be yielded off what sort of um, plantation, like hectare and um, acreage, that sort of thing. Uh, we feel at this stage that the rest of the world are going to be better suited for growing uh, biomass or bast fibre uh, due to lower wage costs uh, overseas and uh, lower growing costs overseas. Whereas in Australia, our main commodities, what we seem to be exporting a lot of are foods and um, essentially consumables and body products and that, those sorts of things because Australia's uh, reputation 
as an amazing source for very clean and uh, amazing food. Um, that reputation is very well uh, intact. It is, um, you know, a huge uh, option for Australia to press on and um, a great economical um, boom for us into the future, as far as I can tell. Um, the uh, sourcing from China alone, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, the Asiatic region alone is uh, mopping up a lot of our food and, and commodities. So um, I would suggest that hemp farmers who are getting into the business or want to get into the business, I would start there. But definitely do not uh, discount the option to grow fibre uh, for the clothing industry because there's a very good chance that we might be longer term able to grow something in Australia that is... Uh, not found anywhere else in the world, uh, certainly with the crossbreeding, um, which isn't exactly my area of expertise, but there might be a uh, sort of a hybrid or some sort of a, um, a bast fibre that we can grow um, or breed in, in Australia and it becomes over time very uh, in high demand as a sourcing material long, uh, long term. So... What I would suggest uh, is to basically just keep your options open. If you're going to be a grower, keep your options open. Uh, you can certainly give us a call. Uh, we will talk with you um, and try and sort of steer you in the right direction. Uh, I would talk to other farmers who have had a crack at uh, growing hemp already. Uh, the Victorians seem to have had a lot of success. Um, Western Australia is going at a rate of knots. Uh, New South Wales is uh, going along quite nicely as well. Um, Tasmania, uh, great guns, they're, they're cruising nicely. They were sort of um, the earliest uh, hemp growers at this stage in terms of seed and oil. They didn't really have too many problems down there because the, the law uh, sort of was a little bit more relaxed down that way um, for the past sort of couple of decades anyway, as far as I can tell. Uh, but South Australia, getting on board, that's great. Um, I don't really know too much about what's happening in the Northern Territory, but it doesn't sound like there's a lot happening up there, but someone please let me know if I'm not quite right on that. Um, so, yes, great to see industrial hemp uh, gaining ground in Australia. Uh, it is just the beginning. There's lots more to happen, and um, I would certainly not write off the uh, possibility that somewhere in the near future... Uh, Hemp Clothing Australia might actually be using Australian grown bast uh, fibre, hemp bast fibre. Uh, we've had some discussions with certain people about this and we will keep you posted on that into the future when there are more developments, but um, it would be amazing if, if we could get that to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, if we could create a new industry for export as well. So... Um, Australian farming practices are very well-renowned overseas. I think uh, overseas, they have a lot to teach us about growing hemp, you know, uh, the Canadians, um, some parts of America, uh, South Korea, China, um, even other parts of Southeast Asia, um, Nepal, uh, you know, all sorts of... Um, all sorts of people have knowledge out there and it's whether or not people are willing to share. That is the key. So um, we will see. Uh, some very, very knowledgeable people have been coming down to uh, Australia, in the, particularly in the last year or two. Uh, there was the Australian Industrial uh, 
Hemp Conference that just happened in Victoria a couple of months ago. And uh, apparently that was quite good. Um, a lot of interesting speakers came and um, posed some ideas or showed what was happening elsewhere in the world. Uh, new market opportunities were raised again, so that's very cool. Um, I would say that those sorts of events longer term um, should just continue to grow. Uh, they should continue to get better. Um, and I fully encourage that. And I really hope that there is a lot more support in those sorts of events for uh, businesses to show up and actually show the end products. Uh, they were That particular conference was, I think, more so geared around the initial parts of the supply chain, the growers, the industrial side, um, more so than the uh, end uh, end parts of the supply chain, the the brands and the producers. Uh, but we'll we'll see how that uh, eventuates. Um, and uh, kudos to those guys for setting that up. And um, that would lead us into item number five, uh, the Green Rush, which just aired on uh, ABC, Four, Four Corners, uh, the program Four Corners. Um, and this aired in April, and it's still up online if you want to go back and watch that. Uh, a very interesting program uh, that was put together. It's about 50 minutes in duration, and um, it would essentially be like, uh, the, I would say, Australian... Australian television's first attempt at trying to document what the hell is going on <laughs> in the hemp and cannabis uh, industry in Australia and who are the players in certain areas. And um, it was pretty apparent right off the bat that uh, the ABC was trying to follow the money and find where the big dollars were being spent and uh, the narrative of that, uh, uh, that program, uh, Green Rush, um, very quickly went uh, into the cannabis industry and medicinal cannabis, social use cannabis. There wasn't a lot about uh, hemp with, in terms of the total content in that program, but there was certainly a bit there. There was uh, some uh, segments there looking, in, uh, looking at hemp fields in New South Wales, uh, which was cool. And um, they also went up to a few... A few people that I've met in my travels um, I saw pop up on that program, which was kind of cool. And then, of course, you know, following back to the money and uh, the cannabis industry and essentially people in big business moving in on the cannabis industry to make a quick buck and, uh, you know, whether their um, motivations are uh, right or not or, you know, uh, honourable or not is doesn't really seem to matter. I mean, people are going to move in anyway. Uh, it's not about the end product for some of these people. It's about is there money in it and are they going to put their money where their mouth is? And it seems like a lot of people are very, very keen to sink, to sink a hell of a lot of cash into these uh, emerging industries. So uh, the, Vic <coughs> the Victorians were uh, pretty... Mm, pretty interested in this early on in terms of the political side. The uh, Victorian government has essentially been very sort of progressive on this in some instances in terms of putting money into medicinal cannabis, which is interesting. They don't seem to have much interest in social use cannabis. Um, and then 
Elsewhere across Australia, this is a uh, an ongoing thing. Each state has its own battles, and federally, uh, the current Liberal government is um, a bit baffling, particularly under Greg Hunt. But we will talk about talk about that a bit later. Um, I keep have to, having to uh, remind myself that uh, I don't actually work in politics and. I can't understand what these people go through, uh, these politicians go through what they do on their day-to-day regime behind closed doors or who they're meeting with. and uh, We can all imagine, but uh, in, in some aspects I, I do network with these people to try and figure out what the hell was going on initially with the hemp industry and why the hell it wasn't uh, you know, legal um, for farmers to grow hemp. Uh, we've crossed that hurdle in South Australia and elsewhere. But uh, in terms of the, the larger, uh, the larger picture, what is happening in Australia with not only hemp but uh, cannabis? You know, whether it's medicinal cannabis or social use cannabis reform. Um, you know, that is a very big uh, political debate, and uh, I think most of us know it shouldn't be as big of a debate as it is, it's pretty clear as day um, that the science behind uh, definitely hemp is not really a threat to anyone. Uh, If anything, it is probably one of the best economic uh, upshots we have for the foreseeable future. So let's just get that out of the way. Um, And then medicinal cannabis, social use cannabis, wherever you sit on this, um, it would be foolish to say that you could just look at the entire thing and put any sort of a negative slant on it and say that we should just outlaw it and never you know no one can have it you know whether they're kids or adults or whatever you know particularly people with medical conditions who need it and and it's actually been proven to work for um, many cases of uh, you know seizures cancers uh, stress relief pain relief uh, sleep uh, disorders um Getting, getting people off opioids is one of the major ones that's coming out. Um, helping veterans and other people uh, with their PTSD treatments. Um, all sorts of stuff. Uh, you know, this isn't just backroom research. There's plenty, uh, plenty of documentation out there on the internet. Um, the World Health Organization uh, recently essentially said that, you know, CBD... Um, is under well by no means supposed to be on any sort of a schedule uh, scheduled classification as, as a dangerous drug and uh, or a dangerous compound found in cannabis, um, particularly as it is an anti-inflammatory. And uh, there is just endless endless documentation on CBD as a, basically a non-issue, and uh, it goes back to this old argument of um, people stressing about. THC, you know, what is THC and why is, why is it, or how is it different to CBD? Um, and I've often wondered if from the earliest days of the re-emergence of cannabis and the cannabis conversation, if the difference between CBD and THC has been highlighted so that they could essentially chop the argument into two different arguments. And, you know, if, and I, I use the words they in sort of uh, quote-unquote terms, the people that don't want this to succeed, uh, if they could essentially 
uh, let CBD slip through the cracks and they lose that battle, fine. But we're not going to give you THC. You can't have it because, you know, there's a whole other swathe of drugs that will essentially be rendered uh, useless or not as effective if THC can now come in and do the job better. So when you combine CBD and THC, uh, it seems to be that in certainly in low quantities, THC is very effective and in, obviously in higher quantities or a, a higher percentage of any sort of drug, uh, it's going to start to have uh, much more um, potent psychoactive effects. So it really just depends what you're using the drug for uh, and what are you essentially trying to achieve. Um, for social use cannabis users, uh, you could argue that they are seeking out you know, uh, the higher uh, percentage of THC in their drugs and um, you know, if that's what they want to do and they're not harming anyone, well, you know, that's the old argument. Why shouldn't we just let them go and do what they want? It's certainly less dangerous than alcohol and uh, we still don't exactly have any documented cases of deaths via cannabis use. Um, wherever you sit on that, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter. But it is, it is on the table for discussion in terms of the political side of things. And um, it does essentially still come back and uh, hold the hemp industry back in certain ways, but at the same time catapults it forward in that it's drawing attention to the entire genus of cannabis. Uh, cannabis sativa sativa, cannabis uh, you know, sativa indica and sativa ruderalis and so on and so forth. There's, it's just the entire thing is so big. There are so many things, uh, so many products that can come um, from the family of plants that uh, any, any documentation or uh, discussions or, uh, you know, media, any attention seems to draw attention to everything else. Uh, whether it's good or bad attention, it's like the old saying, you know, there's no such thing as bad news uh, for a brand. You know, if you're a brand and you're getting bad news in the media, people are still finding you and they're going to look up your brand and maybe even end up buying something, even if you were just being shot down in flames. You know, it's uh, it's open to your interpretation of how to look at these things. But uh, my point essentially is that uh, it really helps if people want to weigh in on the argument that they should go and do their research. There is far too much um, uh, talk and uh, posturing and reckless uh, political policy making that I have identified that um, in some cases I just wish I didn't see it because I wouldn't have to do anything about it because it wasn't an issue, but because I see it and I do try and read and study, you know, documentation and, you know, uh, actual studies and see what's happening elsewhere in the world and look at results and, you know, the effect of, say, um, alcohol abuse, uh, drink driving, um, statistics and accidents, uh, you know, pre- and post-cannabis, you know, uh, medicinal and social use, introduction of cannabis in places like Colorado and elsewhere around the world, you know, drastically uh, reduced crime rates. Uh, look, you, you can't exactly say, oh, it's directly because of the cannabis. It's just there are significant changes that come into play and they are worth looking at. You know, it's worth a look. That's all I'm saying. Um, but it, it does draw me to the fact that the 
uh, and this would be our, our next point. We've just had a government change, uh, state government change here in South Australia, and the Liberal Party's got in. And uh, look, I was raised in in a household that was mostly or predominantly liberal, um, and I don't claim to have any affiliation with any political party anywhere at any time. It's just not the way that I think. And it allows me to stay sort of loose and open to ideas and open to not only, um, you know, uh, criticism of my ideas, but it is, uh, I feel, a good way to live in terms of not being brainwashed. Okay? So um, when you commit a political allegiance to a party, whether it is Labor, Liberal, Greens, uh, you know, minor parties, sex parties, Clyde Palmer, uh, One Nation, uh, <laughs> you, you name it. Uh, there's, there's plenty of parties out, out there. Um, when you commit a, a, a political allegiance to a party and it is, let's say, unwavering allegiance, um, it's kind of like the old red versus blue thing. Uh, what... What are you getting from that allegiance? Are you essentially drawing a line in the sand where you're saying that you are no longer open to ideas, uh, that you see the people on the other side as an enemy or people you should fight against irrespective of their ideas and if they might, you know, in fact be right on some things um, or if you might in fact be wrong or if you might be right but you're not prepared to educate them on why they are wrong. Uh, There is huge amounts of, uh, you know, a brilliant, brilliant documentation, brilliant books out there on the psychology of, you know, politics and uh, decision-making. There's numerous amounts of, like, just brilliant podcasts uh, on, on YouTube and on, um, on all of the podcast apps that you can tune into and listen to, you know, uh, even if it's an hour a week. Look into the psychology of decision-making, of critical thought, and really weigh up, uh, I guess, in terms of uh, when you go to vote. If you, if you are enrolled to vote and you are going to vote at any election, state election, federal uh, elections within organisations or corporations or you know uh, groups that you are in, anything where you are essentially being... Uh, forced to make a decision or you're, you're, you know, you're in a line, you're going to have to make a decision on something and, you know, uh, apply some critical thinking to that and, uh, you know, do your research. Um, I know a lot of people have essentially enrolled and regretted that decision, you know. Uh, this is why we are essentially told to enroll at 18 years of age. So you become part of the system, you form some opinions and you just make a decision. You know, you go left or right, you choose red or blue or green or whatever. And, you know, uh, you form your allegiances and you you do it. You know, it's like a, um, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a just being forced to make a decision, which in some cases isn't a bad thing. Uh, I always feel that making a decision is better than not making a decision at all. You know, if you sit around too long on something, you just won't get anything done. So I do believe in making a decision, but I don't believe in making an uninformed or biased decision based on backwards ideology. Uh, That is dangerous thinking. So um, I try not to get too politically active in terms of being drastically outspoken or, 
um, making a big scene publicly or, you know, um, just I'm too busy anyway running the company and I, I want to focus on, on essentially doing, doing the work of the company and, and helping people get access to better clothing. That is what we do. But uh, politically, it's very hard to do nothing when you see these things happening and no one's really picking up on the finer points of a larger or more dangerous message, a dangerous undertone that, that I, at least I see. So what I specifically was going to point you guys to, and if you're from another state, if you're not from South Australia, you might find this bit you know, uh, not relevant to you, but it is relevant to you uh, because... there is a very clear line between, uh, you know, a red versus blue set of policies and then you have something like a a liberal state policy and a federal policy. And if the federal government is a liberal government and the state government is a liberal uh, government, they very rarely oppose each other on policy. Uh, There are... There are some some areas where they will, but they have their reasons for doing that. But when you have uh, distinct political allegiance between a state government and a federal government, and on things in particular like hemp and cannabis, hemp isn't exactly an issue right now. It's it's gaining ground, and it seems to be getting legalised across the country, uh, and it will over time. I don't see any major roadblocks to this. Uh, but on cannabis reform... Uh, there is a very dangerous undertone here that um, you know may or may not, or probably should or should not, uh, be in this podcast. Whether you think it's relevant or not to the Hemp Clothing Australia podcast, but as I've explained before, I see it is relevant because we are essentially a gigantic family of industries, but we are all tied to the core principle of the fact that it is a cannabis family. Uh, these things are related, so. What I want to point you to is a very interesting uh, page that's up on the internet. You can find this yourself. If you go to strongplan.com.au, you will find essentially under the policy section, this is this liberal South Australian uh, plan for their essentially first 100 days in office. Um, There's a section under uh, cannabis uh, not reform, but what their what their position is to cannabis, and uh, <laughs> this is very interesting. So the title of this particular section of their policy is "Keeping Penalties in Line with Community Expectations." It's very interesting. That's how they started this: keeping penalties in line with community expectations. And it says, "What we'll do: a Marshall Liberal government will legalize or legislate." to raise the maximum penalties for cannabis possession from $500 to $2,000, which is in line with other maximum penalties for drug possession offences. Right? So, right off the bat, they're essentially saying that if you're caught with cannabis, the fine's not enough. We need to uh, essentially slap you on the wrist. And if that's not enough... And it seems seems to not be enough because we're still catching people with cannabis. How about we give you a fine that could basically destroy a low-income earner for the next few years, right? From $500 to $2,000 just for being caught with cannabis. And now keep in mind that this extends to 
not just people who might be carrying around cannabis or a cannabis enthusiast, but what if you have or use medicinal cannabis? Does it apply to that too? We don't know. It's extremely vague. There's nothing in this policy explanation that says more about this. So there's a PDF attached, but they are essentially saying or taking a stance that instead of moving towards legalization or decriminalization or a medicinal cannabis program, they're essentially just saying, if you have any of this stuff, uh, we're going to catch you and we're going to give you a fine. And I just think this is a bit ridiculous, but we'll go on. The, The policy outlay goes on. It says, this change also aligns with community expectations and recommendations of the South Australian coroner who regularly sees the de- uh, deleterious effects or deleterious, deleterious, deleterious effects of cannabis use in cases coming before the court. So that's not pointing to a particular study. It's just saying the coroner seems to think that cannabis is extremely dangerous. And this is the point where I'll say... In some cases, they're probably right. If we're talking about synthetic cannabis, the sort of stuff that pharmaceutical companies want to procure and start feeding into, uh, let's say, our medical system, that's probably a really bad idea. And that stuff will mess you up. That seems to be the science. But go do your research, as always. And it says, a martial liberal government will also review all other penalties under the Controlled Substances Act to ensure they match current community expectations. The review will be undertaken in consultation with key community and legal stakeholders. Hmm. The review will be undertaken in consultation with key community and legal stakeholders. That's interesting. And it goes on to say why we're doing it. Many penalties for possession, trafficking, and manufacture of drugs have remained unchanged since 1984, when our drug laws were introduced. Over this time, however, the nature of drug crime has changed significantly. Community expectations, there's that phrase again, about punishing drug offenders have also changed since 1984, and our drug laws should reflect that shift. That's funny, I don't remember remember people protesting in the streets about drug reform. Hmm. Cannabis is the illicit drug most commonly used by secondary school students, yet it has a maximum penalty of just $500, a penalty which has not increased in 33 years. It's interesting. But why now do we have to increase this penalty from $500 to $2,000? And why would we do that to kids or to people who have just graduated secondary school. Hasn't the war on drugs failed? I'm just curious. Further in actual practice, fines imposed for cannabis possession under 25 grams are only $150. This is similar to the penalty for jaywalking. Perhaps that's because cannabis can't kill you. (laughs) Uh, Jaywalking can kill you. You can get hit by a car. I'm just... ad-libbing here they go on that's why we will legislate to ensure penalties for drug offences are appropriate and in line with community expectations so what I'm pointing to here is that in multiple parts in this policy outlay they have mentioned community expectations but nowhere 
absolutely nowhere from any community or any group within the community, as far as I can tell, or as far as I have seen, has anyone taken to the streets to protest that fines for cannabis possession were not strict enough. No poll in Australian history, as far as I can tell or have seen, has ever shown that people even give a rat's ass about cannabis penalties. If anything, they have been protesting that the penalties are ridiculous and they should be removed and the law should be reversed in the other direction so it can be essentially scrapped and put into a different set of frameworks, a different set of laws or policy where we have a legal cannabis industry that can be controlled, it can be taxed, it can generate income for any number of projects that the public deem necessary. We can literally save people's lives. We can reduce the bill for the health industry significantly. We can wipe out a massive list of drugs off the PBS. There are so many benefits to reversing this stupid set of laws and this state government wants to go and essentially increase the fines, double down on the stupidity. I open this policy to your thought process, to your ability to critically think and ask you, what does that mean to you? It's very interesting to me. And I'll add to this point. I don't particularly have a problem with a Liberal government. I don't particularly have a problem with a Labor government or a Green Greens government or any other government. What I have a problem with is people doubling down on stupid policy protecting financial interests. Protecting financial interests. That is what this is about, guys. So when we, the public, see stupid stuff like this up on a website, literally preaching disinformation, they are telling us that the public actually want an increase to penalties, which is false. It is absolutely, categorically false. There is no poll ever proving this point. So this is disinformation. They are actually trying to persuade you that the facts are other than what they are. I think we just saw something like this in America, didn't we? Mm, it's interesting. Anyway, guys, I'm sorry for getting a bit worked up on that, or at least uh, talking in a frame of mind that might seem slightly sarcastic, because this whole thing is ridiculous. And it actually impacts the industry that I'm working in, because this is why people ask me, when when I introduce them to, oh, do you want to you know, have a look at this hemp clothing or they, they find it in a shop and someone will make a daft comment like, oh, can you smoke it? It's like, no, dude, it's a cloth. So the, the brainwashing of everyday citizens is well alive, ladies and gentlemen. It is out there. So this is what you just need to be vigilant against. What I essentially am asking you guys to do is when you see policy like this, Ring your local member and ask them what the hell is going on. Ring Greg, ring Greg Hunt. Send him an email. Look at the look at the liberal, the, the federal policy for cannabis reform or essentially criminalisation. Look at that policy and let me know what you think.
if you watch the Four Corners uh, program, Green Rush, Greg Hunt was up there, you know, dilly-dallying around the subject. Oh, we might do this, we might do that, but in no under uh, under our watch, under no terms, under no circumstances, will we essentially be allowing social use cannabis reform. That's essentially their line that they're towing, and they've got some pretty hefty checks being banked, I would suggest, to reaffirm that position. There are large pharmaceutical interests who are essentially steering policy in this country, and they do not represent the public or the public will. So what I, I, I just want you guys to be aware of this stuff because it is relevant. It's very relevant. Because one day you, your family, people you care about will be in a hospital somewhere and they will need some sort of pain relief and they're either going to get an opioid or, or an opiate um, or they're going to get some sort of synthetic drug or they're going to get access to CBD, possibly something with THC in it, anything of the cannabis variety will probably be a lot better and I'm not talking about this from an uneducated point of view. I'm just saying, do your research. Maybe it'll be relevant in your lifetime. So, uh, just on that, I did try and ring the local state government before I aired this podcast or recorded this podcast and uh, interestingly enough, um, Stephen Wade, the Minister for Health and Wellbeing, was not available, but, you know, maybe he was busy, and I'm not being sarcastic about that. These guys do work. Uh, but interestingly, uh, neither of the uh, ministerial liaisons were available either, and, you know, that's just interesting to me. I rang up and spoke to a lovely lady uh, in the office and just sort of asked around who was there available to talk about the issue, considering it's going to come up. Uh, quite significantly over the next uh, couple of weeks, particularly here in South Australia, because the Hemp and Cannabis Expo is uh, going to be conducted and there's going to be a lot of people there. You know, A lot of people are going to come, 11,000 people over the weekend, probably something in the order of, of, of that number. And a lot of people are going to be being educated about the facts who might have otherwise not known you know, certain options they might have in the future, you know, uh, things about medicinal cannabis or social use cannabis, things about hemp, whatever it is. And then they're going to go and look at a, a liberal policy and perhaps be a bit baffled about what's going on because there's two very different messages being put out here. So it's worth looking into, guys. I would just put that to you. Um, what, is the, what is the policy in your local state? I would be interested to know. Have you looked into it? Um, it's interesting to me. Anyway, uh, moving on. So we have essentially 15 minutes or so before I'll round this up. Um, there was recently a poll, a very interesting poll that was run on uh, Facebook. And I don't tend to spend too much time on Facebook because uh, I'm very busy um, and I try and actually just do the work of the company and just keep everything rolling. So social media and all that sort of stuff is it's great for the company, but I don't try and spend too much time on it. Um, so I saw a poll come up, and I never really quite know what to believe on the internet in terms of polling and you know who gets access to see the polls in the first place, and therefore is the voting accurate? And I sort of try and question everything before accepting it as fact. But... Channel 7 Brisbane, I think it was, their Facebook page ran a poll and it was asking the general public, 
should Australia legalise social use cannabis? And they ran that poll, I believe it was for five days, and these were after some of the inflammatory comments made by uh, Greg Hunt, Minister for Health. Um, and the poll uh, ran, ran the five days, and it turned out that 83% of people approved of social use cannabis. 17% not so down with it, not so happy. But if that truly reflects, if this is the only way we can actually get a from the horse's mouth, from the public viewpoint in under five days, that is to say we don't have to hold something like a plebiscite uh, at the cost of about $150 million. If we can run a poll in five days and get somewhere in the order of an 83% approval rating, even if that figure is out by 32%, right, that would still mean that 51% or the majority of Australians think that this is a good idea. Full legalisation. Not just medicinal, just get rid of the law framework, get rid of all the criminalisation, stop locking people up, stop filling jails with people who essentially just use cannabis, which isn't as dangerous as alcohol or other harder substances. Uh, that sounds like a pretty good idea to me. I'm interested in that idea. And, you know, let's tax it. Let's make some money. Let's give back to the people. You know, is that such a bad idea? Um, I don't think so. There's probably some people in other corporations, existing corporations, and uh, I won't point the finger directly at pharmaceutical companies because some are actually working on this in the right direction, but there are some people who don't approve of the way that this is going, and they will put their money where their mouth is to try and stop it. But it seems like the public are pretty fed up, and I, I'm sympathetic to the public. So I would like to know what you guys think about this. And am I absolutely going off my tree here? I would like to know if you think if it's relevant I, I, to, to the hemp industry. I think it, I think it is relevant because of the links. Um, I think it's relevant to people who want to not sort of have their head in the sand over this uh, sort of stuff. Uh, our lives will all unfold in a certain direction, in a certain way. I think it's just as important to have good clothing on your back as it is to be healthy, have a very wholesome, uh, rich life full of, and I don't mean that fiscally, I mean just being healthy, eating well, living well, exercising, having access to the right natural uh, medicines or at least access to medical facilities, hospitals and other things that understand what is best for the public. Um, I don't really have an interest in attending or uh, being admitted to a hospital if they're going to jab me and fill me full of opiates, which I've had the experience of in the past through uh, a snowboarding incident <laughs> and uh, some other uh, incidents. So, you know, it's, it's, it's worth looking into, guys. And uh, I would say that as we sort of near the hour mark, start thinking outside the box, start reading some other things, or looking into some other things that are in the larger part of the, the cannabis family. You might be a hemp enthusiast and, um, you know, you're only in it for hemp. That's fine. That's awesome. No worries and, and, and good on you. You might just be a cannabis enthusiast and find this podcast interesting. Awesome. Uh, either way, be a part of the community in any way possible. Uh, get connected. We're all under, you know, the same umbrella we all live in this, you know, uh, 
crazy little uh, planet, this rock f- flinging through space, <laughs> surrounded by oxygen and water. Um, but you know, we're in it together, guys, and I really, um, I really appreciate you tune, uh, tuning in. And I know there wasn't a hell of a lot about the company itself in this particular episode, but um, I will be talking a lot more about uh, the company and our strategy and uh, everything that's happening going forward uh, in the next podcast. We probably won't have to wait five months until the next podcast. I'll try and do another one sooner. But there are some very cool things happening uh, with Hemp Clothing Australia and going forward and our strategies and um, the things that we want to achieve and uh, being um, not overly uh, conservative but being very sure about the things that we want to do and looking after the people who were there uh, in the first place, our first few stockists, the people who started buying from us earlier on in the first few expos, uh, you know, uh, we don't forget where we come from. That is a very important lesson I learned early in life. Um, we will continue to grow. We have been uh, heavily pressured to create an online store and sell direct to the public and, you know, really uh, sort of quote-unquote blow up, uh, become huge uh, or start taking or initiating strategies to essentially just really expand rapidly, you know, super-fast expansion. And some of those ideas are good. Uh, Some of those ideas are not so good. Um, There is a company uh, strategy or a strategy that I um, and other people are working on that will be the right way to move forward. Uh, It'll be the right way to grow. And um, it may not be all about money. It's not always about money for me. It's about, you know, the supply chain, the people in the supply chain, uh, our manufacturers, our sourcing, um, you know, the end users, the stockists, um, my personal life and, and, and the way I want to run this company have to factor into that. And it will be good, whatever the outcome, because uh, nurturing the process is far more important than forcing the process. I think once we force the processes in our lives, things start to unravel, and that's not fun for anyone. So uh, I could go on a lot more in this podcast about our company strategy but we've already passed the hour mark and you're probably sick of listening to me (laughs) Uh, but um, no I I really do thank you for tuning in and uh, keeping up to date with us I will look forward to seeing some of your lovely faces at the Adelaide uh, Hemp and Cannabis Expo May 19th and May 20th Uh, It should be a really great show. It'll be the first time that we've attended this particular expo in Adelaide, uh, but it looks like a great format and uh, it sounds like it'll run into the future and keep growing, which is also great. Um, We try and do as many of the expos as we can. Logistics-wise, I apologise for anyone who was hoping to see us at the HHI Expo uh, in Sydney on the Saturday the 12th of May and Sunday the 13th of May. Um, we were receiving emails and calls about that. I, uh, we just can't do both. Uh, it, they're literally a week apart, and we we just can't truck everything up uh, to Sydney and then get it all back and then set up again in Adelaide. It's a bit of a, a unfeasible effort at this stage. Um, in the future, we might be able to find a logistical solution to do both. But, um, no, we, we love expos. They're great. It's so nice to meet people in person, and... Um, I really 
I just, I'm really looking forward to it. It's good. Um, uh, I will love to see a few of you there and have a chat. And if you've got some ideas, come and talk to us. Like I said, uh, we will be there. Um, come tune into the talk and uh, you'll probably hear some of the same sort of things that we're talking about here on the podcast during the talk. But it's an hour talk, 45-minute uh, talk, 15-minute Q&A. So come and ask me some questions in person or come by the stall we will be there and uh, we will have some cool new products for you guys to check out and even a pre-ordering service available too. So if there's anything on the, on the racks there, any of the clothing that you like, any of the other items that you like, uh, you'll be able to pre-order and make sure you get your stock in your size. There will be a bit of stock there on the day. The format won't be as uh, heavy on stock for us as the HHI Expo, but we will be there... Uh, with some stock and awesome products and a bit of everything this time just to sort of cover all the bases and I cannot wait to see you all. So until next time, guys, uh, this is Chris Martin signing off for the Hemp Clothing Australia podcast. I will talk to you again soon. Bye for now.